Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 511 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack, and uh, we are going to bring you a short topics episode today. Um, I myself have been in my usual location in southwest Missouri. I'm Russ, K5TUX. Cheryl has decided to take an R&R day. And from the mountain wilderness of West Virginia, we also have... I'm Bill, NE4RD, coming to you live. No, no, semi-live, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from the Summit Bechtel Reserve in, uh, you know, basically Mount Hope, uh, West Virginia. And, you, you know, your mobile setup doesn't sound too bad out there. So I guess we can make our lead topic a couple of minutes about uh, K2BSA at the Jamboree since we talked about it on the last episode. So how's it been going out there? Uh, it's been going pretty well. We've uh, God, I, I haven't compiled all the numbers yet because we're doing it on a daily basis. But I would say the station has seen about uh, fifteen hundred scouts so far. A uh, combination of fifteen hundred scouts uh, and visitors into the station. We have uh, probably around seven hundred contacts. Uh, so figure like you know one contact for three individuals uh, sounds about right. Um, we've, uh, worked a lot of the U S I think the only state we're missing is probably, uh, probably Hawaii at this point. I know we've worked Alaska. Uh, we have, uh, worked, uh, into the Europe in the morning. We've been, we've been running, uh, 20 meters, uh, pretty much nonstop, 17 meters nonstop and 40 meters nonstop. Um, those, those have been pretty good bands pretty much all day long here at the Jamboree. So, uh, you know, definitely if you hear us, spot us, even if you don't spot us anyway it uh, definitely helps people find us on the uh, clusters uh as well uh yeah we've been on uh d star and uh the repeaters here so a little combination of both depending upon if we get any activity on d star we've been uh switching back and forth because you know we get repeater x repeat contacts because there's tons of people here that are on the air and listening and stuff like that so it's a it's been a pretty good experience we're having a big uh a big day tomorrow uh the military day is uh pretty much kicking off on monday i know in time it doesn't really matter because this podcast will come out after that but <laughs> this is a sunday when we record so it's a day off for us and, uh, it's been uh it's been going really really well so we've been pretty going on here uh yeah just a just a ton of activity we're right in the middle of our our two-week stretch so uh, our early session people that have decided to only stay one session have uh, departed 
And we have a couple of new people coming on. So we have two leaving, two coming on to the station. And uh, they'll be uh, in the demo station. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been going good. Uh, we haven't had any problems with the equipment. We did have a shortage of one rotor being delivered to us. So uh, our forty meter rotatable dipole is no longer a rotatable dipole. <laughs> it's just a forty meter dipole up on the uh, up on the top. So. But uh, we did orientate it, so uh, it's basically a good good for the U.S. Uh, we do have some blind spots uh, directly to the north, directly to the south from here. Uh, but we consider that an acceptable loss for uh, for forty meters. Um, but uh, but other than that, just having a good time. Uh, the weather's been really supposedly it's supposed to warm up here in the next week, so it will probably be a little bit warmer in the station day to day, but maybe a little less rain, which we would uh, greatly appreciate. So. Uh, that's about it from the uh, the summit. All right, very good. I think uh, I I don't know if it got logged, but I think I'm one of your first contacts. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not one of our first, but I definitely did see you in the log. <laughs> All right, because I because I was talking to somebody before it was even open. It was like on oh yeah before before the scouts actually got there. Yeah, I think that day we had about 123 contacts on that first day. So yeah, you know, you were definitely on the the very first day when scouts were. I think the arrival day. So it was probably Wednesday or Tuesday, one or the other. Yeah, well, I didn't log it on my site, so I don't remember. <laughs> but, but we got you hooked up. Yep. All right. Very good. So that's cool. Yeah. Hopefully, you get a little less rain. Actually, we'll we'll take some of that rain back here. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. You know, and you can have the heat. So. <laughs> I know. I don't want the heat either, but whatever. <laughs> it's better than rain, I guess. At this point, uh, our tent's been really mucky and muddy and stuff like that. So uh, it's uh, not my not the tent I'm sleeping in. That's been pretty dry. But uh, the, the the demo tent is pretty uh, pretty brown and mucky at the front. And if uh, if you're watching the KTBSA's uh, Facebook feed and uh, Instagram feed, you'll see some of the pictures that I've been showing up there. I've been trying to cut out the fact that we have mud all over our uh, blue tablecloths up front from people just stepping anywhere near them because the ground kind of squishes and splatters up. It's a uh, it's a kind of an interesting phenomena that we don't we don't really have in Montana. So yeah, that doesn't sound like anything we have here either. So. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, have fun out there. You've got a week to go and then uh, a long drive back home. So <laughs> be careful. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right. So that was, uh, I guess we'll call that our lead topic for today. And then we'll jump into some amateur radio topics, some short topics. And uh, I guess I'll kick this off with amateur radio fun in the Colorado mountains. Amateur radio operators from around Colorado will be climbing Colorado summits on the air, SOTA, peaks, and communicating with other radio amateurs across the state and around the world. Join in on the fun during the annual event by activating a summit or contacting the mountaintop stations. Be aware that many mountaintop activators will hit the trail early with the goal of being off the summits by noon, 1800 UTC, due to lightning safety concerns. This event is normally held the first full weekend in August. Again, this year, we will add two bonus days to the Colorado 14er event. The main two days remain Saturday and Sunday, the 5th and 6th, while the bonus days are Friday, August 4th, and Monday, August 7th, for those soda enthusiasts that need more than two days of soda fun. The 14er event includes Summits on the Air Peaks, which provide over 1,700 summits to activate. Uh, see the W0C Soda page for the Soda Atlas. The Colorado 14er event was started in 1991, about 19 years before the SOTA program was set up in Colorado. 
As soda grew in popularity, this event expanded from just the 14,000-foot mountains, the 14ers, to include all of the soda summits in the state. We still call it the Colorado 14er event because, well, that's where it all started, and the 14ers are the iconic summits in the state. I was on one of those, the 14110, which some of you may know is Pikes Peak. So. Ah, the drivable one, right? <laughs> yeah. And we went on the train, so nice, nice. Didn't didn't have any ham gear, so I couldn't activate it. But you know, <laughs> it's I'm sure it's been activated a lot of times because it's very okay. accessible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's coming up in a couple of weeks, so definitely uh, join in on that. Get your soda fix if you need it. And with that, we'll move on to uh, let Bill read the next one here. Yeah, yeah. So we just did a soda activation this morning at Garden Ground Peak. So. So just to tie in with that, so the soda is pretty fun. We sent a sent a bunch of guys up there that uh, have 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 done some and haven't done some. So it was a good experience. So sodas are always a an exciting thing to do. I believe the Garden Ground Peak is a six point peak here in a uh, in West Virginia. But let's uh, move on to Sacramento County's Sheriff's Office welcomes a new volunteers. <clears throat> on June 22nd, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office announced that they are looking for additional volunteers to round out the variety of programs they offer to the community. Many of the county's volunteers have experienced working as police officers, oh sorry, as a police officer <laughs> or in emergency services. However, anyone who is who is of applicable age and meets the requirements, is welcome to give their time. According to the Sheriff's Office, there are currently five different divisions volunteers are welcome to apply to. That's a weird sentence. Uh, the Sheriff's <laughs> the sheriff's Amateur Radio Program, also known as SHARP, uh, Volunteers Reserve Officer, uh, Volunteers in Partnership with the Sheriff, otherwise known as VIPS, uh, Search and Rescue, and a youth program called the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office Explorer Program. SHARP was created in 1977 after an increase in theft crimes hit the region. It was further inspired by the level of participation from the community that came from when the police were working to apprehend the East Area Rapist, otherwise known as EAR. No, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I had to do that. (laughs) Saw the EAR and it kind of sucked me in because you capitalized it. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) you put it in the show notes that way. There we go. (laughs) Uh, It became clear that year uh, how valuable citizens were when it came to operating radio and helping to relay emergency information. All volunteers are licensed by the FCC and, according to their website, quote, have the responsibility of assisting the Sacramento County Emergency Operations Center with any emergency requiring auxiliary communication, end quote. And that, of course, came to us from Carmichael Times, which I have no idea where that is. So <laughs> I'm assuming it's, assume it's somewhere around Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, somewhere out there in Sacramento. <laughs> totally legit source. <laughs> Well, it sounded legit, I guess. It showed up on Google search, so, you know. (laughs) All right. So, moving on, we got this next story, which I'm sure has been reported everywhere, and I think think I've seen a lot of people up in arms about it, but I guess um, we'll find out where it goes. So, commercial interests petition FCC for higher power allocation on shortwave spectrum. The ad hoc group Shortwave Modernization Coalition petitioned the FCC to allow data communications on multiple bands within the HF 2 through 25 megahertz range with up to 20 kilowatts, including in bands immediately adjacent to spectrum allocated to the amateur radio service. This group appears to represent high-speed stock trading interests. The ARRL 
The National Association for Amateur Radio is treating the petition as a subject of concern for its members and the Greater Amateur Radio Service. AWRL laboratory staff are studying the matter from a technical standpoint, including analysis of transmitted signals potentially interfering with amateur radio communications on amateur radio spectrum. The results from this expert review are being finalized and will inform AWRL's filed comments on the matter. The FCC has assigned the petition RM-11953. Comments are due by July 31st, 2023, so get in quick. And reply comments by August 15th. While the petitioners exclude the amateur bands, high power operations are immediately adjacent uh, on immediately adjacent bands are proposed. Next uh, story came directly from the AWRL, and I've heard a lot of people say they're you know all up in arms about it and uh, worried that it's going to be like the death of amateur radio or something. A link to the petition is also in the show notes. So if you're I at mean, all or interested, there you go. I mean, if the spectrum is clean, which they generally are for commercial systems, I mean, I don't. I don't see what power has to do with any issues. I mean, the only band that really collides with, uh, you know, those kind of services, the SWL stuff is like 40 meters where the upper half of the band is plagued with some uh, <clears throat> uh, AM stations at night that generally come in. Right. But all the other bands are pretty, uh, the adjacency is much further. I mean, I, I would be interested, I guess I haven't really studied this and I don't really know the specifics but like the only band i can ever think of that even comes close is is 40 because it overlaps i mean the upper half of the band is completely wiped out at night power for sure would increase that but i i mean it's already so bad that you can't use the band (laughs) (laughs) unless you're you're running splits and stuff like that and you uh sit like right on top of the carrier so you don't hear all the garble moss (laughs) yeah yeah, isn't it like 7.200 or something? There's like a huge broadcast station there or something? Or No, it's all over the place. I think 7.200 is where... Uh, not, the, not the, it's like the, 7. The spammers live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, it's, up above the, it's up above the amateur radio band, but it's it's really... It's like you any time at night you can hear it, so... <laughs> yeah, pretty much like anywhere in the, uh, the general, general class license spectrum is pretty much wiped out at night for 40 uh, SSB. Yeah, well, I don't know where this will go or what will happen or, you know, assuming they're staying within Spectrum, you know, it shouldn't be an issue. But again, you know, bleed, it happens. <laughs> so, yeah, we need some people running, you know, like, you know, 25,000 watts on FTA. That'll work out well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So I guess we're moving on to some open source topics. And since I read the last one, I guess you get to do this one. Oh. Alrighty, snowstorm. It raises seed capital to keep the internet free. Okay, I'm, I'm interested. This was not my story. Uh, <clears throat> created to ensure the open and free access to the internet. Ha ha. Snowflake <laughs> saw a huge uptick in users during the start of the Ukraine war and has grown even more since then. <clears throat> Started as an open source project by Serene Snowflake, which began as a pluggable transport for Tor. Isn't there like a trademark thing with that? Since Snowflake, like uh, uh, AWS's uh, data lake thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, has a had a makeover into Snowstorm. Oh, maybe that's why they changed their name. And now it promises faster connections and can run as a standalone software outside of Tor. Snowstorm's open beta will launch this quarter. Snowstorm announced today that it raised $3 million in seed funding, led by C Club Ventures with participation from Cabret Capital, Capel Capital, Echo VC, and Matt DeVost. Your future, you know, fleers from the law, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Snowflake started as an open source project eight years ago to keep the internet free. Serene taught itself how to code when she was nine and was hired by Google while still a teenager. She ended up being the first engineer at Google Ideas, now known as Google Jigsaw, because Jigsaw puzzles, you can throw away the pieces and nobody cares, um, <laughs> and used her time there to find ways to the other hand. Oh, sorry. sorry. I skipped the line. Yeah, that's, that did not work out well. Uh, to find ways to use large-scale infrastructures to help the internet. I should stop interjecting stuff. That's basically it. Uh, Snowflake on the other hand, is decentralized and is deployed as a pluggable transport for Tor. Instead of trusting a centralized system for a VPN or a VPN that can be blocked, it consists of about 100,000 people from all over the world temporarily stepping up to use their computers to act as brokers. Uh, disguised by domain fronting, so it seems as if it comes from a non-restricted service. Users and brokers are connected by WebRTC. It's basically a two-sided user base, quote, uh, Serene said, uh, quote, there's a people who need help connecting to the Internet and people who can help others connect to the Internet, unquote. Millions of sessions are being established every day with things kicking off last year during the start of the Ukraine war when users needed to circumvent Internet censorship. And this came from TechCrunch. I mean, this has all kinds of weird issues with this story. What what provoked you to put it in the in the notes? I mean, I'm, I'm interested. Well, it's I mean, it's an open source technology. I mean, and that's what we're talking about. So. <laughs> oh, I, I just didn't know if there was like something something else to the story that kind of provoked your interest. It's uh, it seems odd to me overall. Well, I don't know. It was kind of interesting. We don't really talk about sort of uh, anti security very much, <laughs> and um, I mean. It's not like I, I use a VPN every day for work. I mean, I don't know if you do as well, but you probably do. Oh, yeah. uh, but this is, I thought some people might be interested in this kind of technology. And uh, like I said, it's open source and there it is. And it mentions like data security and stuff. I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, it was a story. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's actually an interesting when I have to kind of look at this a little bit more and see the see more of the subcontext of why this seems new and why somebody's actually funding it. That's just interesting. Yeah, I mean the the website itself about Snowstorm sort of gives you more details about it. Of course, that's in linked as well. So I mean, you know, feel free to check it out. Maybe maybe we put this in an error, but who knows? Um, no, still- no. No, I'm sure it's not an error. It's a story. It's just that, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting that uh, somebody's receiving funding for something that could be solved by, like, I don't know, tail scale. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just because she's such a prodigy or something that uh, or really good at marketing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Working for a company that shuts down 90 percent of its products. OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't have to go into Google's issues. Uh, so next on the agenda, we have Linux. Yeah, I heard this the other day, and I was like, oh, <laughs> we're so excited about 3%. Uh, but anyway, uh, Linux hit over 3% desktop user share, according to StatCounter. Um, this is written first person, apparently. Uh, do my eyes deceive me? Apparently not. According to StatCounter, the Linux share on the desktop has actually now passed 3% for the first time. While it has been closed a couple of times, the trend, according to their stats, is pretty clear that Linux has been slowly rising over the last few years. 
This does not include Chrome OS, even though it's based on Linux, as they track that separately. So this is just plain desktop Linux. As always, keep a big pinch of salt ready, though, for any such survey. StatCounter gathers its data from around 1.5 million sites globally, quote-unquote. Still, just like the Steam survey that we regularly look at for trends, it's an interesting measure to keep an eye on for the overall picture. Across this year, their stats show for Linux... January 2.91, February 2.94, March 2.85. Why the recession? <laughs> uh, April 2.83, May 2.7 is like trending downwards. And then all of a sudden, June 3.07. I don't know. I think it's fake news. <laughs> I think we're down to 2.6 and they're just lying. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, this, this fake story came from Linux on Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're slanted because they're all proud of their little Steam box and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, this even, doesn't even count Steam. They mentioned Steam, but it's not even about that. So, I wonder what the does. I wonder what the Chrome OS number is. I'm kind of curious about that. They didn't. They didn't cite it. But uh, let's see. I mean, if you want to look at uh, OS market share, Chrome OS is 1.74 percent. 1.74%. Okay. Um, you know, it's still fairly large, I guess, of all desktop users, but... At least from this thing that sort of shows that. Right. These these shady characters who put numbers together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Android is showing it's 40%. Windows is 28. iOS 16. Uh, OS X, which doesn't exist really unless you have an old Mac, of uh, less than 9 so yeah well isn't like version 13 still called like os 10 it's like os 10 version 13 or is it is it, i don't I think, think it's, it's everything from snow leopard back right i don't know <clears throat> yeah back yeah, Ick. yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> <laughs> apparently we have more news about colorado colorado yeah look at that so i'll go ahead and read this one because i put it in here and i didn't do any editorial on it <laughs> uh, cosmic skies of colorado july beyond the dazzling sea of licensed frameworks and thunderclouds lies the cosmic you can't even read your own story you said frameworks oh i did i say frameworks i, did. <laughs> I can't read okay i'm i'm literally to like blind so you can <laughs> i know it's already 150 percent and i i still can't read it uh, let me let me start over. We're totally going to edit that out. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now that I've zoomed it out, I have no idea where in the store store uh, story I am. Okay, here it is. Okay, beyond the dazzling sea of licensed fireworks and thunderclouds lies a cosmic array of ancient stars. It's within our gaze upon these stars where we find inspiration for Cosmic DE, our new desktop environment created for Pop OS and other Linux distros let's get into the updates okay if you didn't get this is a uh, system 76 update <laughs> about their uh, desktop environment uh cosmic uh so they fixed some window resizing so you can do that better with a keyboard uh they have fixed the wallpaper settings and scaling so your wallpapers look less like uh um ass <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see what else we have a notifications daemon that they've improved on so you get less garbage in your notifications i mean my pop os system has everything uh uh silent so i don't really care if they send any more notifications so uh but they have improved it um let's see fractional scaling so like that's the big one 
They have uh, fixed fractional scalings of higher resolutions on smaller screen can cause text and cursors to appear tiny. I can attest to this because I have an XPS 13 with a uh, QHD screen. And uh, yeah, I run it in native resolution reduced by (laughs) by a percent. Uh, So it can run at 100% so it doesn't look weird. Uh, In Pop! OS 2204 LTS, you can scale your resolution by 200, 300, or 400 to make these elements easier to see. However, you can also toggle the fractional scaling feature feature in the display settings for access to scaling options in 25% increments, like 125%, 150%, 175%, etc. This past month, the fractional scaling functionality was implemented into Cosmic DE as well. Let's see here. Cosmic text uh, was updated. Cosmic's Cosmic's multi-line text handling was upgraded to version 0.90. Sounds like a solid product, uh, which saw improved performance and the addition of few features to keep text running smoothly. In addition, this will be the first version of Cosmic text to be integrated into the upstream release of the Iced Toolkit. And this came to us from a System76 blog entry, of course. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I use, I use, uh, <clears throat> pop OS on the XPS 13 and it, it has been the best OS that that little machine has ever run. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> yeah. I ran, I think I'm still running pop OS on this one machine over here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ditch it. I think I will have to check the spec on it first, but I'd rather run Garuda if it can. I'll check that out. But yeah, so no more system 76 stuff for me, at least not right now. all right and this next one i threw in here was another security one but this one is one that i want to check out personally so i thought it might be useful uh proton pass is now an independently security audited open source password manager privacy privacy centric firm proton has announced that its password manager proton pass is now more than just open source the company has had the code of its apps, browser extensions, and APIs subjected to an independent security audit by German security specialist Cure53. With passwords providing access to some of the most valuable and sensitive personal information imaginable, reliable security is essential. The auditor's assessment that Proton has a, quote, commitment to maintaining a high level of security and that the state of security across Proton's applications and platforms is commendable, end quote, will serve as helpful recommendations for anyone looking for a safe and secure password manager. Proton says that while it sees the open sourcing of its code as an important step, it recognizes that to most people, code is meaningless. This is the reason behind submitting the Proton Pass code to an independent auditor. It builds on the company's strong help, strongly held, that's, that's held, not help, <laughs> strongly held belief in the scientific ethos of transparency and peer review. In a blog post about the code audit, Proton says, quote, while being open source means that anybody can audit our code, not everyone has the time, technical expertise, or interest to pour over our app's code. That's why we also regularly commission and publish independent security audits for all our apps. Proton Passes Code underwent a security audit by the German security firm Cure53 throughout May and June. We selected Cure53 to handle the Proton Pass audit because we wanted to ensure that Proton Pass received the most rigorous testing possible, and Cure53 has extensive experience investigating browser extensions and password managers. They've tested all Proton Pass mobile apps, browser extensions, and our API. End quote. So I'm going to be looking into this because I need a decent password manager. So the one we have is is okay. Uh, I don't even know if it's open source. I'm not going to mention it because I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, this looks like it could be a nice alternative, and it does have a browser extension. So something I want to look at. And this came from Beta News, by the way. 
and uh, a link to the code itself and to the Cure 53 report are also in the show notes. Okay, so I see you dumped in some Linux and the Hamshack stuff that wasn't here when the show started, so <laughs> I guess this is good. Oh, it was there. It was there before we started, for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I just didn't scroll down, apparently. <clears throat> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So. so I added a couple items here into Linux and the Hamshack. Uh, one of these items uh, I uh, read via uh, KB6NU's mast, uh, his blog post that he was talking about some of the things he's found on Mastodon, and it kind of interested me. And one of these things is called Future SDR. And, of course, this is SDR go brrrr. Because uh, it's fast. Uh, an experimental asynchronous SDR runtime for heterogeneous architectures that is uh, extensible, custom buffers supporting accelerators like GPUs and FPGAs, and custom schedulers optimized for your application. It's asynchronous, solving long-standing issues around I.O. blocking and timers. It's portable, Linux, Windows, Mac, Wasm, of course, that's WebAssembly for you non-WASM people, <laughs> Android, and Prime support for embedded platforms through REST API and web-based GUIs. Uh, it's fast because SDR go brrrr. Overview. SDR, S, uh, future SDR supports blocks with synchronous or asynchronous implementations for stream-based or message-based data processing. Blocks can be combined to a flow graph and launch on a runtime that is driven by a scheduler or scheduler. It includes <clears throat> single and multi-threaded schedulers, including examples for application-specific implementations. A portable GPU acceleration using the Vulkan API supports Linux, Windows, Android, etc. A user space DMA driver for Xilinux, or Xilinx, sorry, Xilinx Zinc to interface FPGAs. Uh, so yeah, this is, uh, this is interesting. The, the link to that is, uh, that we have in the show notes is to their, uh, uh, A to the blog post from KB6NU and to, uh, the KB6NU's News Mastodon post. So, uh, check it out. It looks kind of interesting. Uh, uh, it really interests me because, uh, it was Rust based and I don't think it, does it say it anywhere there? It doesn't even say that. It's Rust. So, uh, anything Rust sounds kind of cool and that kind of flows into the next little short, short little thing that's sort of related and i'll go ahead and read that too and that's rusty and soapy sdr and that is the rust bindings for soapy sdr soapy sdr which we all know uh is an open source generalized api and runtime library for interfacing with sdr devices with soapy sdr you can instantiate configure and stream with the sdr device in a variety of environments so if you don't know what a soapy sdr is it's basically the the library that sits between your hardware and your application like uh, oh, I don't know, GQRX or SDR++ or, <laughs> you know, name name your favorite SDR application uh, that uses some kind of interface library that's not a direct, uh, a direct driver for the hardware. Um, most of the off-the-shelf SDR hardware platforms are supported by SOAPy SDR, and many of the open source applications rely on SOAPy SDR for hardware integration and support. In addition, in addition... Apparently they couldn't spell. I just cut paces. Uh, Soapy SDR has bindings for development frameworks like GNU Radio and Pothos. And of course, this is the link to uh, the GitHub uh, for Soapy SDR Rust bindings. So uh, yeah, Rust, Rust, if you don't know, has way better memory handling. That's why you're starting to see Rust in the Linux kernel and stuff like that. So it's replacing a lot of the... Uh, uh, the C and the C++ stuff. Um, if you're a C and C++ developer and hate the fact that you're being taken over by Rust, I would just spend some time looking at it. It's 
quite interesting as a language, and I've been kind of just dabbling in it myself and kind of learning it on the side. I don't really have an application for it right now, but I, I find some of its implementations quite intriguing. So uh, there you go. There's some interesting uh, SDR-related Rusty stuff for you to think about this uh this uh this particular episode well that sounds good i i have been hearing it, I, that rust is like the new hotness so i have to uh at least take a look at it at some point so other than having uh chat gpt just generate random code in rust <laughs> yeah yeah that doesn't count because yeah. <laughs> you can cut and paste off a of stack overflow too well, that's true. All right. So we don't have any announcements or feedback that I'm aware of. So I guess we just need to go ahead and wrap this thing up. And we're going to do that with our new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. And on those lists, we have for Facebook, Gordon Peterson and Dwayne Kelber. On Twitter, XTNOC. And uh, at Arid Aridi William. Sure. Why not? On Mastodon, we have at PDE and at LinuxHam1. On YouTube, Mark Dahmers and Matthew Keller. On the mailing list, we had W2LPC, KJ7UZN, N0TRN, Burnett Devine, and John Roberts. On Discord, we had KI5MJV Matt, Polanthus, Josh, Veshuma, ON4DMD Bart, Ben, KC9UNS, and WT Mill. And because of our odd recording time this week, we only had one live participant, Steve KJ5T, listening from his car. So thanks, Steve, for tuning in. We appreciate it. And that actually brings us down to the end of the show. I don't think there's any more to discuss unless uh, I missed something. Oh, Bill's posting pictures in the chat. <laughs> Is that happening right now? No, no, that was uh, just this week. It's just a... Uh... An interesting face of scouting these days. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of uh, uniforms I see. So, <laughs> no, no. so yeah, definitely check out the K2BSA uh, social media stuff. And I'm trying to post as much of my uh, pictures and stuff there. It's always, uh, it's a lot of fun seeing a lot of smiles. Smiles for the miles on RF, for sure. All right, very good. Well, that does bring us down to the end of the show, so we want to thank everybody for listening. We really appreciate it, whether it was live or after the fact. And uh, thanks for being a part of the program, whether you support us financially or just download the show and listen. If it weren't for all of you, we wouldn't be doing any of this. So hope you got something out of it. And uh, tune into the next one, episode number 512, which will be a weekender. So we'll just have some fun and hedonism and all that good stuff next time around. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out. Uh, Cheryl W5MOO is uh, doing her R&R, so she's not here. But uh, this has been episode number 511 of Linux and Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux and the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. 
visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Thank you.